right, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11 will be our verses under examination today. While you find that in your Bible, I did want to mention a couple of things that um, you need to know for next week. Um, our men's group for tomorrow night at Mr. Leslie's house will be at 7 p.m. for our Farm Life Men, Farm Life Men group, men's group. So if, um, if you haven't been, you're invited to come. If you know somebody who you invite to come, please do that. Also for our ladies, the circles will meet tomorrow at 7 p.m. for the Caddy Peel Circle. Uh, mark that down as well. That'll be 7 o'clock tomorrow. Now we have our Bibles turned to Acts chapter 5. The sermon for today is entitled, A Tale of Two Liars. A Tale of Two Liars. And this is the narrative of Ananias and Sapphira. And we can learn something that is very revealing through this narrative. Now what we find within Ananias and Sapphira, it drops into the intentions and the motivations of the heart. It un uncovers the struggle between the spirit and the flesh. In fact, in this narrative, becomes a, it becomes a commentary on the depravity of humanity. And by the way, if you give the devil enough rope to use on you, he certainly will. If you give him any fuel, he will use it on you. If you give him any reason whatsoever to come against you, your family, your testimony, he will use every opportunity he can to discredit your testimony for Jesus. Our portion of scripture is taken from Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And I'll ask you, if you will, let's stand again as we read God's Word. I'll be reading these first 11 verses. A tale of two liars. This is Ananias and Sapphira. In verse 1, God's Word says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. A great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and carried him out and they buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. And not knowing what happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Peter said to her, Well, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath. And while the young men came in, they found her dead, and, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Father, we ask you that through these words, speak to us. Give us the most sobering message you can through these words. Father, lead one to repentance today, forgiveness today, to the cross of Christ today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what an inspirational story that is from Ananias and Sapphira. Up until this moment in history, the Lord has been doing some wonderful Christ-centered things, Christ-centered events that have taken place in the early life of the church. People are being saved. There was a lame man who was healed, and because he was healed through the apostles in the name of Jesus, the Lord begins to move and motivate his church. It is marvelous to see all these things start to transpire from the healing of this one lame man. God began to do some great things. And the Bible tells me that the Lord at this point at least added at least 8,000 believers to the church. It is stated as Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin, otherwise called the council. It is because of their resolute demeanor that they stood upon the rock of Christ Jesus. And it is because of the Spirit's movement and involvement we see 5,000 people who heard and believed. So that puts us at about 8,000, if not 10,000 people who are saved and believed. Now, it is interesting that this word that is used here for believed also can be translated faith. It is the same word that can be intertwined and translated sometimes as the word faith. So what did they hear? What did they hear that made them believe? Well, they heard Jesus preached as he was standing in front of the council. They preached Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God who came to redeem mankind from his sin. So this implies that those 5,000 were saved by faith in Jesus because of the preaching of Jesus. So Peter and John are released. They leapt for joy to be able to be counted as co-persecuted with Christ. And they began again selling possessions and, and helping out those who were in need and selling their possessions and giving to the poor they're selling plots of land, they're giving the proceeds to the apostles, and then the apostles distribute as those who are in need. We are introduced at the end of chapter 4, one by the name of, of Joseph. We don't, we're not told much about Joseph other than they changed his name to Barnabas, meaning that one who encourages. He's an encourager. They changed his name because he was an encourager. Barnabas sells his plot of land. He lays it at the feet of the apostles, which is another way of saying that he gave it as an offering to the Lord for kingdom use. He gave it with a worshipful heart for kingdom use and for those who were in need. Now, up until this point, the church is described as untainted. They are above reproach. They are, at least it seems, without, they are without blemish. They are unblemished, without wrinkle. They are in their most pristine state until you find yourself in chapter 5. You will not find a blemish. You will not find a disagreement that are recorded in these first few chapters. That is, until you get to chapter 5. And the reason we know that chapter 4 and chapter 5 are to be understood together in the exposition of these chapters and verses can be understood with one simple word, 
one simple conjunction, and that is the word but that begins in chapter 5. As if to say, Barnabas was an encourager and a good example of what it means to give in a worshipful way, but let me tell you about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, so these tale of two liars, we're going to look at both of their lives today, and we're going to try to understand what might we learn from Ananias or Sapphira about the deep recesses of our own heart. What can we learn about the dark corners that hide in our heart where the Lord would shine His light upon and we would repent these things before Him? So let's begin with Ananias. In Ananias, we see the danger of lying to the Holy Spirit. The danger of lying to the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, have you, ever, have, have you ever had those times when you try to make a deal with the Lord? Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. God, if you bring me through this, Lord, I promise I'll, I'll serve you. Now, how many times have we made a promise like that and we found out we just flat out lied about it? Or we found that we couldn't keep those things that we promised to, to the Lord? So what I want to do before I begin, what I want to do is I want to take a few seconds. Okay? I want to take just a few seconds. And I want you, where you're at right now, I want you to thank God for His grace and His mercy that He didn't strike you and me down every time we were dishonest to the Lord. So let's take a second or two. Now the reason that I say thank the Lord is due to the fact that there are probably many occasions when we deserved to be struck down like Ananias and, and Sapphira. If there is a day where the church needs to have integrity and be people who mean what they say and say what they mean, it is, it's now. It's really any time in history, but so much more now when the world has its focus on the church with a laser-like focus. The Bible tells us in verse 1, there was a man by the name of Ananias. Now, in your Bible, and in my Bible, I have underlined, italicized, and bold this word, but, because we're going to return there. This man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, they kept back some of the proceeds, and they only laid a portion of it down at the apostles' feet. Now, here is this conjunction, but as to say that Barnabas was a good example, and here is a bad example. Barnabas sold this land, and he did what was worshipful in the sight of the Lord, but this is not the case with Ananias and also Sapphira. Now, a little background about these two. We're not told a whole lot. But a little bit of the background might help us to understand the parallel or what someone would call the juxtaposition or the parallel of their names and their crime. Now here's what I mean by that. Ananias' uh, name means God is gracious. It could also mean the Lord's gracious one. Ananias means God is gracious. Sapphira names mean, it means beautiful. Imagine the sapphire jewel. Sa uh, uh, Sapphira's name is beautiful. And you begin to think about the names that they are given and the justice and the judgment that has been dealt out to them. It lets us know just because God is gracious, 
Just because God is gracious does not mean that he will overlook sin. Amen? It doesn't mean he's, going to overlook, he's not going to overlook sin. Likewise, in the actions of Sapphira, lying to the Lord, shows that one might put on a beautiful facade. They might put on a loving facade. They might put on the hypocrite mask and look beautiful. But will eventually, the blackened heart and that wicked heart will show its ugliness given enough time. In the words of John Gill, who was a contemporary of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said, This shows that there are hypocrites among men of the greatest name and characters and in the purest churches this first and pure church. Ananias and Sapphira are amongst the apostles, Peter and John, and yet they commit such a heinous crime and sin as, as this. And they are forever, forever capsulated in the canon of Scripture of what not to do. Though they it transpired here, to sell this vineyard, this piece of land, and only give a portion of it to kingdom work, even if they really thought it was going to kingdom work, or if it was a moment of pride or ego. It was, it was evident with these two that they did not have everything in common like the rest of the early church. All right? The commonality is Jesus. In fact, this fellowship, this word, koinonia, is commonality. The commonality that they had is in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. That's what they had in common. And these two aren't showing any of the evidence of having those things in common. See, it would be better for them if they would just sold the land and was up front from it. Well, Peter, John, I think we're just going to keep this money. Or, hey, um, we're not going to sell it at, at all if they were just up front. The episode demonstrates a couple of things for us. It demonstrates that they, they did not revere the work of the Lord that was being done through the apostles. And by the way, this is not a new theme. We see it in the apostle Paul when some of those who call themselves super apostles in the letters come against Paul and accused him of not being a genuine apostle. So it's not the last time that we'll see this. Uh, people doubt the work of the apostle. They did not value them as apostles, nor did they respect their work. They were, in a way, they were practical atheists. Now see, what does that mean, brother? What I mean by this is, they might say that they are a God-fearer. They might even say that they believe in Jesus. They might even claim to be a follower of Jesus, but their actions state that they do not even think that he is there or even looking on their life to judge them for this sin and deceit. They sin as if God wasn't there or if God wasn't paying attention. My friends, the Lord don't never sleep. The Lord don't never sleep. I remember when I was a young boy, I was probably about 10 years of age, and I saw a man steal from the church. I remember the man's name and I remember everything. He's probably passed on if he was like, unless he's repented. The church that I was attending, the offering plate was always passed around right 
before the closing benediction. They would call up the deacons. The deacons would pass the plate. The deacons would bring the plate back up, lay it on a communion table, and then one of the deacons would offer the benediction and they would be dismissed. And as this benediction was being, this prayer was being offered up, 10 years old, curious, I opened my eyes and looked at the communion table. Just at that time, I saw one of the deacons right close to the plate slipping a few of those dollar bills into his pocket as we were closing in prayer. And I thought to myself, even at my young age, even in my unregenerate heart, that I knew that that was wrong. And I thought to myself, at that young age, with the fire of the Lord, the Lord's going to get him for sure for what he is doing by stealing from the house of the Lord. Satan has certainly been at work in those people who have been in church history like Ananias, Sapphira, like this man who I knew who was stealing from the church and not only the first or the last occasion for people being dishonest before the Lord. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now I'm not going to even talk about people who get upset who withhold their tithe and offering because they get angry and keep back a portion of that because of their stubbornness, their arrogance, and their pride. I'm not going to mention that much more than that. But what I will say this, guys, I want you to hear this. Church, I want you to hear this, that if Satan cannot defeat his church by persecution on the outside, if he cannot affect the church and, and defeat the church by outside influences, he will attack within. As the devil is like a roaring lion going and seeking whom he may devour, he will seek to devour you right where you sit. It was once stated by Oliver Wendell that sin has many tools. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Now Peter's accusation is a stinging one. He says, why have you allowed Satan to influence you so? And what is it? Is it greed? Is it pride? Is it, is it lust? And by the way, it is, it's not a mistake that Peter is using these words here when he says that Satan has filled your heart. It is no mistake that Peter is using that word. The same word that is used for filled as to say Satan filled his heart to lie is the same verb that is used when God fills a believer with the Holy Spirit. Just in that one little simple word, we can infer that we are either filled with the Holy Spirit or we are either influenced by Satan. Now, what do you think a believer is influenced by the most? Satan fills the heart to betray, and the results that we find is simply to lie. And we might find this in this accusation and say, how does this accusation of lying come to fruition? Well, first, Ananias, he lays down the money of the, from the land as if to say, Barnabas gave all of this and he got all the accolades. Now look at, look at me. As if, as if to say or expect some type of praise from what Barnabas has done. I think that's why Paul, I mean, I think that's why Luke uses this wording in here 
when he is referencing Peter using that word but. As to say, Barnabas gave it all, look at me, as to expect some praise, and there's pride and arrogance and sin and darkness. There is an implication of pride and boastfulness in the tone that is used. The only problem is that we know he's not being honest. Paul accuses him of lying, as if to say, you're not lying to us, but you are lying to God. Or to say that this work is not our work. This distributing of these funds and proceeds and possessions, this is, this is not our work. This is God's work. But then he presses Ananias in verse 4 a little further. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And when it was sold, did you, was it not at your disposal? Why have you contrived or conjured up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now these questions that are posed to Ananias was to say that none of these things took sacrifice on your behalf. None of these things took sacrifice on your behalf like it did for the rest of your brothers who was giving over and above and giving sacrificially. See, he wasn't obligated to sell the piece of land at all. It was totally voluntary. If he had been open about it from the get-go, maybe he wouldn't have been struck down. See, he could have sold it all, kept it all. The proceeds are not given any of it. He could have kept the land, not sold it. There's a million other different scenarios other than selling the land, keeping it, and lying to the Lord about it. The transaction of the land, see, is not even the core of offense. The selling of land is not even the core and the offense. It is the condition of the heart and the sin that followed it. So why did he contrive such a deed? And How would you answer that? Why did Ananias and Sapphira, why did they, why did they conjure up such a deed as this? And the simplest way to answer that is that the heart of humankind is wicked and sick. And by the way, God has to own your heart. God has to own your heart. The Lord must drive your inner being, your spirit, by His Holy Spirit. It is God who drives the will of man by His Spirit once we are Reborn. That's why it says you must be born again. In fact, true theocratic rule of the heart is God ruling and reigning in our heart and in our mind and not the enemy. That's theocracy. That's theocratic rule of the heart. God ruling and reigning and taking up residence and, and navigating and owning our heart and driving us by His Holy Spirit. But see, then the Lord begins to judge immediately. Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last breath, and a great fear came upon them. These young men rose up, they wrapped him up and carried him out before his body even got cold. Now, you might be sitting there this morning and you might be saying to yourself, man, that sounds harsh. That is a tough one. And Why did the Lord act in such an immediate way? immediate way first let me say this no matter what the occasion is in the bible when god exacts his judgment there is all at all there has always been a season or a moment of mercy 
God has always shown his mercy. We can think of this in many different scenarios. Ananias and Sapphira were permitted by the mercy and grace of God to even follow in the apostles' footsteps in some way. God allowed them to get in the crowd, to flourish in the crowd in some way, even to have a plot of land to offer up to sell. So even in all of this, we find God's mercy even to go through the transaction of selling this land. You might say, man, that's harsh. He struck him down like that. May I remind you that this is one of the most crucial times in church history. The Lord Jesus is beginning to establish his kingdom through his apostles. People are being saved. God is adding to the church daily. And this happens. In the Old Testament, there would be the terminology... Drastic times brings drastic measures. Remember Uzzah who reached out and tried to steady the ark in 2 Samuel? You remember that story? What happened to him? The Lord struck him down because God was establishing his covenant with his people and was still in the early stages of beginning to ground his people in his covenant. Drastic times, drastic measures. People are being saved and in comes Ananias and Sapphira to stain what God is doing. So God is judging rightly. And he's using them as an example to say that I will keep my promises even if I must strike you down because of your sin. Do you remember what Jesus told Peter at Caesarea? After he said, get behind me, or before he said, get behind me, Satan... Remember what Peter said, I mean, Jesus said to Peter, once Peter proclaimed that thou art the Son, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what he said, Jesus said to Peter? Well, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he says, You are Peter, and on this rock, this proclamation that Christ is the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And then it says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it seems that Ananias and Sapphira in this most pristine time of the church represents that hell in this episode who is attempting to come against the church being built and founded. And I must say, the enemy was trying to use them as a hell gatekeeper of sorts to thwart the word of the Lord. And I don't ever want to be in that place where I am coming against any work that the Lord is doing. The word or phrase when Ananias heard this, these words, it is in the present active as if to say, while Ananias was still listening and while Peter was still speaking, he dropped down and Peter was still speaking. Peter wasn't finished with his rebuke and Ananias fell immediately. When I read this narrative, I, I cannot help but to think of Hebrews 10 and verse 31 that says these words, that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I think of this also, I think of Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon that he read off a manuscript. Jonathan Edwards' sermon as he preached it or read it, there was uh, many, many people who came to know the Lord Jesus and it was on this fear of the, living, of the living God. In fact, it was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. When I think about the cross 
And when I think about what Jesus endured, I don't know if we have ever really thought about this in our offense. When I think about the cross of Jesus, when I think about the pain that he endured, now we just we come off the Easter resurrection season. So this should be fresh. In fact, it should be fresh with us every day. When I think about the cross of Christ and I think about the pain that my Jesus endured, I should think twice before offending him. It must be a fearful thing to be punished for sin when you remember the atonement and you remember what transpired on the cross because of my sin. What Jesus endured should make us think twice before we visit those dark corners in our heart and mind, before we are tempted into sin. The Bible tells me in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah was bruised for our iniquity. And to live contrary to the cross, to live contrary to the work of the cross is like spitting in our Lord's face as he was hanging there. So why is it that we as believers have these dark corners, these unconfessed sin, as if the Lord is not aware? And, and I know that there are because I know how people are because I'm the same. We began to hear God's word. We began to hear it preached that Jesus came and died on the cross and was put in the grave and he rose again and confessing him as Lord and asking him to take our sin. Lord, here's my sin. And we'll be saved, the Bible tells us. We hear God's word preached. We come and we began to congregate. We become uh, members of a church. We sit and we listen to God's word. We hear something preached from God's word that could be not necessarily controversial but, and not even confrontational, but an admonition from God's word. Hard saying. And we sit there, we say to ourselves, that's not me. I'm not guilty of that. He's talking to somebody else. In fact, we know that we are guilty. And Ananias wasn't hiding anything from the Lord. And in fact, he probably, he probably really didn't believe that, that the Lord could see his actions. The Lord wants so much more for you and I and than us to be consumed with guilt and sin. and In fact, the work of Christ has freed us from the stranglehold of sin. But here's the thing, we let it get us in its grip. Christ died on the cross to set us free. The Bible tells us in John 8, 34, Jesus said to them, Truly or verily, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son will set you free, you are free indeed. And the Lord would have us free. And it's a fearful thing to think that we offend the holiness of God. Now the beauty of all this is, is we have been set free from the trappings of sin by the blood of Jesus. After an interval of about three hours, the wife came in and wanted to know what had happened. And so the second person that is guilty is Sapphira, the guilty con co-conspirator. So let's read these last remaining verses. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Did you sell it for this much? She said, yes, for this much. 
And Peter said to her, Well, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? You can co-conspire together. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed his last her last breath. And the young men scooped her up and carried her and buried her next to her husband. And here is a key verse in verse 11. And a great fear came upon the Lord, upon the whole church, and upon all who heard these things. The Lord meant business. She endured the same fate as her husband. And let me say this as we look at these two, that the Lord will not have His church shamed. The same applies today. Now, just because the Lord is gracious and merciful, and we can see it, meaning that just because the Lord does not seem to judge people who shame His church right away doesn't mean that He will not judge doesn't mean that there's consequence for some of our, our actions. When we are unchristlike to one another. See, it's time for the church to move outside of being hypocrites. Putting on the mask and start being like saints. And yes, we are called the saints. We are the hagios, the set out ones, set apart ones. We are the saints and if the Lord started cleaning house, if He started cleaning house across the church today, like He did with Ananias and Sapphira, there would be some folks in deep, deep trouble. I'm thankful to God for His long-suffering and His mercy. They both conspired how they might test and how they might deceive the Lord God and you you know how futile that that sounds. Even as it is written in Deuteronomy 16, 6, it says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. They tempted the Lord. What exactly were they up to? What are they up to? I want you to understand the intentions and the wording of the language that is used here. By attempting to tempt God, they are trying to put it to the test to see whether or not the Holy Spirit was ruling and moving in the apostles. They wanted to see if these apostles were genuine. Not only their darkened heart, but also, in a way, testing. And they found out the hard way. And by the way, this is the wrong way to test whether something is of God. How do we test whether or not something is of God? The Word of God. That's how we test it. Always test a man who handles God's Word. Always test the person who handles God's Word whether or not he preaches and whether or not it lines up with Scriptures and not whether or not you like the man or not. Is he true to the Word? What is the result of the Lord judging in this way? Well, the whole church fell into deep reverence. The Lord's business is an important business and anything that attempts to taint that work is in danger of consequence. I don't want to be on that other side of the butt. I don't want to be on that other side of Ananias and Sapphira. I want to be on the favorable side where Barnabas was at. See, this episode focuses us to ask some questions of ourselves. I want you to first understand that this narrative is not even so much about Ananias and Sapphira. They are characters, they are footnotes in the story. 
This, this is not even so much about these two as much as it is about God demonstrating His preservation for the church. God is protecting His people. He is protecting His church. And He'll do that today too, by the way. So my question is in closing, are we men and women of gospel integrity? Do we say what we mean and mean what we say? Are we willing to state the truth in accordance to God's word, even if it may hurt? See, this lesson with Ananias and Sapphira is one of being faithful to the Lord Jesus, trusting in his word, and one of integrity. We must be people who mean what we say for the sake of the, of the gospel. It's not such a common practice for people to fall over dead these days, is it? It's not a common practice to fall over like Ananias and Sapphira. That does not mean that God does, is out of the judging business, or correcting business, I should say. So there he has been gracious. And that is why we took a few seconds to thank the Lord for his graciousness this morning. D.O. Moody once told a story about a man whose name was Stuart Briscoe. Stuart Briscoe recalls a time where he was hired to work at a bank. He was young, he was new to the vocation, just learning, just starting out, just learning the business. And one day his boss man told him, he said, if Mr. Jones calls for me today, I want you to tell him that I am, that I am out. And to that, Briscoe re replied, he said, oh, you're planning on going somewhere? And he said, no, I just do not want to speak to him today. So tell him that I am, I am out. He says, well, let me understand what you're saying. Just so I know what you're telling me. You want me to lie for you. And the boss blew up. He got angry. He, he uh, was outraged. He was angered. And Stuart was like, oh, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm about to lose my job for trying to be honest. Stuart said a, a, a prayer to the Lord. Uh, Lord, help me through this. And God gave him a flash of insight. He looked at his boss man. He said, you should be happy. Because if I won't lie for you, isn't it safe to assume that I will not lie to you? And so this is a lesson of integrity. So much more outside of the business world. When we have the living God living and dwelling within us, driving our motives, driving our mind, driving our heart to be people of gospel integrity. Have you made promises to God that you knew you couldn't keep? I'm going to let you in on a secret. Let me let you in on a secret. You can't keep them, at least on your own. So here's the challenge. What might be on your mind as you promise, a promise that you have made the Lord, what might be on your mind? Maybe it was, I promise to read the Bible more. Maybe it is, I will get in the community more. I, whatever it is, pray the Lord would help you to achieve that. I remember hearing a person say once that they were presented with the gospel he said i'll get saved but i need to get something right first i need to get right before i get saved my friends it doesn't work that way christ does the work 
Christ does the changing. Christ does the cleaning. Whatever it might be, don't just promise God that you're going to do this or that. But Lord, give me guidance. Give me strength as I try to pursue your will and your commands as they are portrayed in your, in your word. Ananias and Sapphira are a great lesson of how not to look at ministry and how not to, to be in terms of the condition of, of the heart. A tale of two liars. Do we fall in any of these places this morning? If so, if so, I challenge you, bring it before the Lord. Bring it to the old-fashioned altar. Maybe there's something that you need to repent of today. Maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness. Maybe there's something you need help with the Lord. The altar is here. The altar is here. Let's pray.